Last week, when I was not with y'all, I was with my younger brother, my two months away from Irish twin brother, as he turned 40. One evening, we were chatting in his living room with his wife, and out of the blue, she asked, how did you get here? How has your relationship gotten here with you two being friends like this? And our answers were tellingly different. In my opinion, we'd always been friends. But I'm the older sibling, and I ruled over my baby brother with an iron fist when we were children. So his response was, we had a lot of fun as kids, but I was terrified of Beth. We became friends in high school. It's true that people cannot be friends when there is a discrepancy in their power dynamic, right? I thought we were great friends because he did whatever I said. But he did whatever I said because he was terrified of me. I still think I scare him sometimes, and that's okay because I'll always be his big sister. But we are true friends now because we are equal. Our text this morning, all of them, point to a hope beyond current circumstance, no matter how unequal the current circumstances are. They remind us of how true reconciliation and forgiveness can bring radical equality to the kingdom of God and shows us the path to get there. I think many of us have grossly misunderstood Jesus' words from our gospel text this morning. Most read it as an admonition to be meek and non-confrontational, right? It sounds, it sounds like just whatever, sure, you want my shirt? Yeah, whatever. Just, just trying to keep the peace here. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. Turn the other cheek when someone hits you. It sounds like a tutorial on how to suffer and endure abuse, right? A how-to on being the best pushover in the room. But it was not a tutorial on how to suffer and endure abuse. It was a roadmap on how to bring justice, kingdom of God style. I think we generally misunderstand love. <clears throat> we like to domesticize love and relegate it to romance or good feelings or nice friends or good days or people we like or respect or those that look like us. But that is not love. That's not all of it, at least. Love is much more dangerous and powerful than all that. Love, not, love does not just fade away and give up. And the only time love would ever lie down and die is if it plans on rising out of the ashes with new life. And love always brings equality, which is a prerequisite for the kingdom of God, for community and relationship. Dr. Cornell West says that justice is what love looks like in public. Love is not weak. Turning the other cheek is probably the most vivid and intense of the suggestions of Jesus in this gospel, and it's something that has become ubiquitous, right? We use it all the time. You just need to turn the other cheek. You just need to walk away, right? And I don't know anyone whose natural response when getting hit is to give their attacker another free shot. That's not mine, that's for sure. Human nature, when one is attacked, is either fight or flight. But Jesus suggested neither of these. To turn the other cheek, as he, as he suggested, is not to suffer abuse, though. It's to unveil injustice. In the context in which Jesus 
was speaking, he was asking them to do something courageous and prophetic. The first century had a lot of little rules about engagement with other people, right? It was very tricky. And in the first century, someone with more power and status could legally hit someone who was subject to them. There was no, there was no problem with them hitting a slave or a spouse or someone lower in the social hierarchy. It was within their right to do it, and no one would bat an eye at it. That was totally their right. But they would only use their right hand because in the first century, you did not use your left hand for anything but bathroom business. So to use your left hand would bring shame to you. In addition, they would not use the front of their right hand to hit anyone because they would only use the front of their hand to hit someone if they were their equal. So if they were going to hit someone that was lower than them, they would hit them like this, with the back of their right hand only. So if they hit them like that, and that person brought their other cheek to be hit as well, it challenged the person who struck them with a dilemma. Either bring shame upon themselves by using their left hand or treat that person that they hit as an equal and hit them with the palm of their right hand. Both options stop the oppressor in mid-abuse and challenge them to see the person they are abusing as an equal or at least for a moment jar them and know that they believe that they are. It disrupts the pattern of abuse and dehumanization and is a public witness to the kingdom of God. I think that this is much like what Rosa Parks did when she refused to give up her seat for a white man on a segregated bus. She just didn't move. She challenged the sinful system of racism that dehumanized her and just sat there, nonviolently, staring in its face. The Montgomery bus boycott that followed was another example of kingdom people choosing to stand up against evil with a prophetic act of not giving their business to a system perpetuating their oppression, demanding that they be seen by their oppressors and bringing love and justice and life. It was what Joseph did after he was sold into slavery by his murderously jealous brothers. He took the power and influence that he had and he saved them and was reconciled to them. You know, the story that I told the kids today, that story of Joseph is such a powerful one. He turned the other cheek, not by eradicating the evil that his brothers had done, but instead by choosing not to participate in a system of escalating violence, which would have been totally in his right to do, and showing his brothers the way to be healed as a family through forgiveness and reconciliation. Love is not weak. Turning the other cheek is the courage of our LGBTQ siblings in the United Methodist Church this week as they attend their church's general assembly while their own existence in the church they love is being debated as if they were objects or problems to be dealt with rather than beloved children of God who are a blessing to the kingdom. It is anywhere where truth stands up to injustice with courageous peace. And it is, as Paul so beautifully writes in our epistle, 
What is sown in dishonor being raised in glory? What is sown in weakness being raised in power? And what is sown in the physical being raised in the spirit? The kingdom of God is the upside-down kingdom. It provides an alternative to the powers and principalities and hierarchies of our world. And it shows us that forgiveness is more powerful than revenge. And it invites us to love that is prophetic and powerful. And as Christians, we're invited to inhabit this kingdom and live as though it were true. As though it were more true than the rules that the rest of society is walking under. And as we do that, we bring that truth to light beautifully. We live it as Jesus did. Jesus didn't spit in people's face arguing. Jesus lived in a way that changed the world. Yesterday, we honored and remembered the life of one of our own who has lived his whole life in this community of faith. Baptized over 80 years ago in the Burlington Lutheran Church, confirmed here, raised his children here, and had his funeral here, where he spent thousands of hours praying and worshiping God. Ed was a man of action. He did not waste his breath. He lived his convictions rather than saying them. And in that way, he was profoundly like Jesus. Because Jesus did not worry about how his words were received. He did not play by the rules of religious authority. He did not care what the societal norms were. He, after all, came to set a different set of priorities. Kingdom priorities. He did not fight violence with violence. He revealed the sham of oppression with his radical love. And I wonder, folk, what it would look like if we did the same. We know what the rules of engagement are. Our society, we don't have these rules about left and right hands, but we have lots of rules of engagement, right? We know the lines. They might be invisible to everybody else, but we know not, not where we should cross or where we shouldn't cross, right? We know these things. We know who we should engage with and who we shouldn't. We know what we should say to be good citizens and what we shouldn't. What would it look like if we let go of some of those things and we ask the Spirit to move us in love? What if that's what we cared about above all? Not how it might reflect on us. Not what people might think. Not what feathers might be ruffled. But instead, how we could bring the kingdom. Daring to trust and step out on that prophetic and powerful love. Jesus loved. He healed. He spoke truth to power. He welcomed the rejected. He did not follow senseless rules. He challenged long-held societal norms. He, with every breath, every step, every healing from the cross to the tomb and through the resurrection, showed us what it looked like to live by love. May we follow him. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 631, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling. <laughs>